Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. State of the Empire is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. And is brought to you in part by Consequences Sound, the web's foremost source of music, film news, reviews, and insights. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. I'm Billy D. Williams, and you're listening to The Nerdy Show. Welcome to State of the Empire, Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Matt Rex. If you're not familiar with Matt Rex, well, you may remember him from our Star Wars Celebration episode or earlier episodes of Nerdy Show. And if you're not familiar with State of the Empire, well, welcome, dear friends, to a wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is our first show partnered with Consequence of Sound. Now, they sponsored our uh, coverage of Star Wars Celebration earlier this year, but uh, now we're coming to you on Consequence of Sound, longtime allies of Nerdy Show, and we're really happy to be bringing... State of the Empire to both Nerdy Show and Consequence of Sound. This deal's getting better all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to talk about all the latest news and rumors and everything, but don't you worry your pretty little head because we're not going to spoil anything until we have opened those particular blast doors. So uh, you can stick around, enjoy yourself. We're going to talk about all the latest stuff to come out of Force Friday. That's our big focus in this episode. And, um, and then there will be a very clear spoiler wall, because as we approach December and uh, The Force Awakens, then we're, we're going to learn more and more about what's going on there. We already know quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tune in to previous State of the Empire episodes, all of them at nerdyshow.com slash Star Wars on iTunes and on SoundCloud, and you can get the full skinny on what's happening in Episode 7. We're pretty certain about most of our findings. Pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> For a change. Yeah. <laughs> So for the uninitiated to say the Empire or the major discussions surrounding Episode 7, well, we're going to try to go easy on you. If the Star Wars discussion goes too deep, just bear with us. You'll figure it out. Don't worry. Believe in yourself. Trust in the Force. Even though it's only been two weeks since our last episode, this episode is a doozy. We've got a lot to talk about with all of the new information that has either been officially released or has leaked or that we've gleaned from some unsuspecting locations. So, Force Friday. Massively, massively hype day. Mostly centered around uh, consumerism. The, the very heart of Star Wars. The, isn't that the point of Force Friday? Yeah. Well, we weren't really sure. You know, marketing we, the toys and whatnot. Is this the first Force Friday they've ever had? We weren't really sure what it was, but that was the day the toys were coming out. So yeah. there was at least that aspect of it. There were rumors of a trailer that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Midnight stuff happening at uh, Target, Toys R Us. 200 plus targets around the United States and every Toys R Us in the United States. Midnight releases of Star Wars toys. And uh, I mean, this is big for all of us. We all were alive and practicing Star Wars fans at the dawn of episode one during all that action figure hype. I remember going the afternoon that all those figures came out to Toys R Us and just seeing a bunch of shit. I didn't know what it was. All these crazy, <laughs> crazy figures. Um, 
Force Friday wasn't exactly like that, though. It really wasn't. Not that it wasn't disappointing, but like I don't think, at least for Revenge of the Sith, the last time this sort of you know figure release kind of like came upon us, I just remember just being blown away by the amount of figures, the amount of content, and the amount of new things. And now like shelves are empty, and that might be just because everyone's buying everything, or there's just less of it. And I think I it's think, more, I think it's, I think it's more the latter. Do you? I, I think that there wasn't a lot of it, but then everyone bought it. <laughs> so I mean, like, <laughs> you know, what I mean, I I feel like the the new Disney run Star Wars world is so much more tighter with timed releasing of what what yeah. they want to share and what they don't. So like, we had a very curated amount of stuff that came out. Whereas like with Episode One and Revenge of the Sith, everything came out at once. There was no like we're holding this figure back for spoilers' sake. Like right, Jango Fett's head fell off fell when off. you opened that pack. Yeah. yeah. You remember that? Like his head <laughs> fell right out of the package, and I was like, "Well, that's how Django dies, I guess." <laughs> so, in some ways, I appreciate it, but at the same time, it's a very clear, narrow focus on what the merchandise was for this round. I mean, most of it was very first order heavy. Yes. Yeah, it's all first order. I mean, well, not all of it, but it's definitely ninety percent first order. Captain Phasma and Kylo are like the hottest things. When we got through the line at Target, like the, there was two Phasma figures, and they were gone immediately. That's it. That's all they had. People were looking for it. People wanted it. And uh, Spill got one, thankfully. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good on you. Yes, I got a Phasma, which, you know, it's, you know, out of the three and three quarter figures, I think it's one of the better looking ones. But, you know, it's weird. It's like they have figures for like five or six, it seems, different varieties of first order stormtroopers. But yet, where are the resistance pilots? Where are the heroes of this story? And obviously, we're getting a lot of Finn and Ray stuff. But it is definitely based on this new empire and placing them as bad guys. And when in doubt, bank on the space Nazis. They make a lot of money. And I guess, I don't know, I guess I'm surprised because this whole marketing campaign has really been about nostalgia. And to me, like the first Star Wars movie is about the heroes. Like I was born a year after Return of the Jedi came out. So I don't know actually what it was like within the theaters. But I know growing up through the power of the force line and, and everything else and just like the way each movie seemed to be aimed. The first movie, everybody was just in love with all the heroes. I mean, obviously, Vader had his thing, but nobody was going crazy about the effects of Grand Moff Tarkin. It wasn't until Empire Strikes Back came out that the Empire was cool. That was their time to shine. And it's strange to me that, basing it on all the nostalgia stuff that Episode 7 has kind of banked on, that we ended up seeing a lot more doom and gloom figures this first wave. I'm sure all this resistance stuff is coming, and I don't know if that's a whole thing to like maybe set up a big bad guy so that we can make it seem like it's a fight that's barely worth fighting because it's such an overwhelming force. Because coming off of a victory in Return of the Jedi... I assume the First Order was coming from a spot of being the smaller group, sort of like the Rebellion. But according to all the marketing stuff, it looks like they're the overwhelming force once again. Matt, I think we might not be giving enough credit because I saw a lot of hero-focused stuff. There was Campbell Soup. There was Cereal. Uh, <laughs> there was macaroni and cheese from Kraft. All of that had the heroes on it. But all of that was out before Force Friday, and it only features original trilogy heroes. Uh, it was still Campbell's suit, my friend. <laughs> well, it's a weird batch of stuff. Um, it's a really small wave of figures, generally speaking. The comparison to previous film releases with action figures, there's just not a lot of diversity. Like We knew about all the characters before they hit the pegs, and that wasn't because we're running 
a Star Wars speculation podcast and we're overanalyzing right. it. Like it was all basically general knowledge. I suppose the one exception would be the uh, constable figure. Who's a, a <laughs> constable Zuvio. Yeah, don't, don't worry, don't worry. When we got like we were second in line at our target, we took every Zuvio figure, threw them in the cart. They're like we're putting them up on eBay. We're expecting Zuvio to go at like three hundred dollars a pop. Yeah. <laughs> like don't worry, Zuvio. We know that's where where it's He's at. He's the new fat. He's the new Boba Fett. He's yeah. So you you guys were at the front lines at midnight at Target. I actually did a local Target that didn't have a midnight thing. Got there at 8 a.m., really small line of people. And uh, man, there was not a lot of figures there. I mean, by the time I got there and like it was a small group of people, what we saw may as well have already been picked over. The section for Star Wars was so empty. Totally. I think a part of it has to do with the fact that they're running this promotion through the weekend. I think they artificially limited the amount of stuff. Either that or they're getting trucks throughout the weekend because the people at the Target that were talking to us were saying, like, we're putting out this stuff tonight, but we're keeping it stocked through the whole weekend. Right. So I I feel like they might be getting more as it comes. But, yeah, it was totally light when we were there, too. You'll notice that I'm not doing the episode in a voice-changing Kylo Ren mask as planned. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a reason for that. I actually couldn't find one anywhere. I would say your best bet cap is a Disney store. And for the listeners out there that are looking and maybe are offended by some of the high prices in normal stores, the Disney store had really high quality die cast vehicles for really cheap. I got a full die cast new order or new order, you know, the Blue Monday TIE Fighter (laughs) uh, (laughs) for, for 10 bucks. And it's like solid metal and it's like really nice and big. Yeah, so like they have some really affordable stuff at the Disney store. Yeah, I would say Disney store right now is winning. Target, I mean, it's a little lacking, I guess, comparatively to to the prequel movies, which could be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it's all highly restricted. They don't want us to know stuff. In fact, they don't want us to know stuff predominantly about our main cast of characters. There's no Han yeah. Solo. I think there's there's a Chewbacca figure, but um, but there is a Han Solo Lego minifig. Yes, with the Millennium Falcon. Get it. The only way to get a Han Solo Episode Seven figure right now is to buy a two hundred dollar Lego set, and then you get the minifig. That's and, it. And that's super weird. That's super weird. So they don't want us to know who Finn is. They don't want us to know who Ray is. And of course, we got some theories. We'll save that for later in the episode. But the snow troopers are an interesting thing because we're seeing more vehicles now. And there was some stuff that I in the last episode when we discussed what action figures we'd seen previews of. <laughs> there were some things I was like, "Are there speeder bikes here? Is this actually in the movie? Are there like forest speeder bike scenes that we haven't seen in any of the trailers?" I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I think there's totally going to be. My guess is we're going to see a lot of, in that sort of a pure Imperial Assembly scene, all the different troops and landers and everything, I think we're going to see a lot of the vehicles and whatnot. Maybe not everything in action, but I think that's where we'll see like speeder bikes. I don't know if there's a speeder bike chase or anything like that. Well, because you got to think, uh, the, the film has to establish what the threat is. Because like you said, you know, after Return of the Jedi, it's like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Well, now the new film's going to be like, look, everything's not okay. And here's the full extent of what they're capable of doing. You can't just have a small band of troopers after them the whole film. You'd be like, well, then, well, you know, what am I afraid of? It's just a handful of guys. You have to really show the power of what's coming because this is all brand new. This isn't a continuation of something that happened before. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the uh, the snow speeders, I kind of thought that was an interesting accessory thing. But there's an action figure vehicle. There's a Lego playset. It looks like these uh, snow speeders for the uh, First Order are going to be serious business. I mean, they're funky. They're not like the Rebel snow speeders from Empire Strikes Back. The they're- Disney store, that's what solidified it for me, too, is the Disney store had one of the die cast vehicles, and one of them was the First Order snow speeder. That made me feel like, okay, this thing's going to be in the movie. Because the, the vehicles that they picked were seem very particular at the Disney store. 
Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And also, I, I actually made a mistake last episode. There was a um, Micro Machines playset, the uh, first order Stormtrooper head that folds out. There was a vehicle that I thought from the shot we saw was the Millennium Falcon spinning around on it. But in fact, it's a first order transporter, which also has a uh, Lego playset vehicle. It's like a, a troop deployment D-Day kind of ship. Yeah, those things are rad. They have like the fold down fronts where all the troops storm out of. I think we're going to see a lot of those in this movie. And then another thing that kind of surprised me was there's a land speeder. It looks like it's cobbled together out of junk. Like it's practically a speeder bike. The only difference is you can like sit in it. And it comes with a Finn figure who looks to be wearing the black clothing that's underneath a stormtrooper outfit. Like this is maybe something he steals after crash landing on Jakku, perhaps. I think that's what he's wearing underneath the jacket. Oh. Like, so Matt and I were at the store the other day, and there, there was a Poe figure and a Finn figure next to one another, and they were both wearing the same jacket. And we're like, Finn totally steals his jacket. Or maybe he gives it to him because the Stormtrooper bodysuit is too conspicuous, so he's like, take my jacket? I don't know. Even the Tops cards, they're both wearing the same exact jacket on their respective yeah. Tops card. Well, essentially, is the Disney store is selling the kids' version of this jacket. This yeah. jacket is like the hero's jacket for the movie. <laughs> if the two main characters are wearing the same jacket, now, you know, as a kid, and by the way, for any, you know, parents that are thinking about buying this jacket, like, it is high quality. Like, your kid will look cool wearing this jacket. I want to wear this jacket. He tried to fit into it at the Disney store, even though it's a <laughs> very small. I pretty much got it around one arm. Yeah. <laughs> So we were hoping for a surprising wealth of information to be gleaned from the action figures at Force Friday. But unfortunately, this is what we've got. This is it. I think what was interesting, though, the logos on the sides of the figures. The, oh, yeah. This is there's one of three logos on the sides that indicate what environment they're from with some Orabesh. And, you know, the picture is either uh, of the forest or snow or desert. And, I mean, we didn't actually do the Orabesh translating. But it seems pretty obvious that they say either forest, desert, or snow. So that's good information. Find out where someone is going to look like that or where they're going to appear. I yeah. still don't know much about those planets. And it's interesting yeah. that they would bother to, to do that biome separation thing on the figure. It's, it's neat. It's fun. But is there some grander scheme to that? I would say only for, you know, three variations of the main characters, you know, when they change clothing or whatever. But yeah, other than that, not really. I don't want to jump in front of the spoiler wall here, but a lot of the costumes we're finding out have some pretty crazy descriptions on the websites that are selling them. Yes, and we, uh, we will get into that a little bit yeah. later. <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess we can say that in brief. If you're looking at the descriptions of these costumes that were just released on Force Friday, you're going to see what is either some creative writing graduates' purple prose or some potentially very revealing information that you could glean insights from as to the nature of these characters. We don't know which. Yeah, I have a feeling, though. I think it's real stuff. I think it's real stuff. Some or most of them are official merchandise. So yeah, who knows where they're getting this copy from. Now, the other big toy thing, which is going to sweep the nation if it hasn't already, is the Sphero BB-8. People are finally getting their hands on this thing. And uh, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is the Tickle Me Elmo of 2015. No way around it. Yeah, What's yeah, interesting yeah. Is, is to hear everyone use that phrase, the Tickle Me Elmo of... Yeah, everyone's saying. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, guess, I was Tickle Me Elmo the first? I mean, I guess it had to have been, but it, it is well, it was, strange it was how... a big one, and it was a surprise. This is different from a Tickle Me Elmo, because 
full-on adults with no children are buying this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's going to be big regardless. Now, this is something we can pat ourselves on the backs over because Sphero, which was a company formerly called Orbotics, we talked to them at E3 back in 2012, did a feature on them and debuted their augmented reality technology, which they hadn't shown anywhere publicly yet. So we've known about how cool this little orb robot is for a long time. And as soon as BB-8 hit the screen, especially when the BB-8 rolled out on the stage at Star Wars Celebration, we were like, it's fucking Sphero. This is Sphero, guys. If you're not familiar with the Sphero or BB-8, I mean, you're probably familiar with BB-8. He's the ball robot. Well, Sphero is a ball robot in real life. And this particular iteration of Sphero looks exactly like BB-8. It has a magnetically mounted head on the top. He emits lights and sound and is controllable via your touch thing, be it a phone or a tablet or whatever, can do lots of great features, including interacting with objects. Like if it touches something, if it's near something, it'll like bump into it and react with like all the character expressions that you might expect from a a real robot, which it is. It can patrol rooms independently, and it can also do holographic messages via augmented reality. You'll hold your tablet in front of your face, and you'll see BB-8 projecting uh, a holographic message of your friend or your friend's penis. I've gotten way too many of those messages from Matt already. <laughs> no, yeah, no comment. <laughs> Incoming message. <laughs> oh, it's from Matt. I better open this. <laughs> yep. So it's an incredible, incredible toy. We'll link to the video where you can watch the grand debut of the BB-8 Sphero. But as for the BB-8 Sphero itself, we recently uh, got some new insight into the process of how it was made. There was an uh, interview between the Denver Post and Sphero CEO, Paul Berberian. As you may know, the BB-8 in Force Awakens was not done as a robot. Well, there were robotic components, but mostly camera tricks, puppetry, CGI. They didn't actually believe that tech existed that could pull off BB-8 as a robot yet. But in June 2014, Bob Iger saw the Sphero and uh, took the guys aside, showed them some pictures of BB-8 in the movie, and asked if they could pull it off. In four hours, they 3D printed and soldered together the parts to create a BB-8 prototype. That's crazy. How fortuitous. Right. And to this day, the Sphero BB-8 has been built with no idea about what his role in the film is or what he does or what he's like. All they have is like some notes that Disney gave them to create the toy that we have today. The guys at Sphero have absolutely no insights into the film at all, which is interesting. That is interesting because the toy has so much character. Like They did a great job at, at making the toy feel like a thing with a personality. And I actually find that story shocking just because like BB-8 seems like such a perfect merchandising opportunity to think that their thought process really did not have as much of the, I'm sure obviously they, when they saw designs, they're like, Oh, he's going to be a cute plushie and a cute figure and everything else. But I mean, I look at that BB-8 and immediately the prospect of like a real interacting one, like the R2-D2 units of old, that's immediately what I thought of, and apparently they didn't really have that necessarily in mind going about the movie-making process. So that's cool. Here's the big thing that came out of this interview for me, though. The thing that surprised me the most was not just that they hadn't really seen the film or knew great details on the character. The life-size BB-8 on stage at Star Wars Celebration, the one that they're likely to be using at Disney parks and probably, I would guess, the filming of the new movies, that wasn't Sphero. They didn't build that. Mm. In fact, the Sphero team were just as surprised as we were to see it there. Really? Huh. Then who built it? Well, it was Disney. Barbarian said, I think when they saw that we could make the physical toy move like the character in the movie, that it inspired the prop masters to make a physical version of that. We weren't involved in that, but we proved it could be done. That's awesome. Impressive. 
it's kind of a shame that Sphere themselves. I oh, I, yeah, I don't know that the patenting the copyright like shouldn't they be building those? I I don't know. That's They're, a good point. Yeah, it's too bad. Hopefully, if there's any kind of legal agreements that have been violated there, that uh, they and Disney can you know continue their what's I imagine a ridiculously positive relationship based on how many units they're going to sell this thing. Yeah, and also, I mean, I would say Sphero's marketing on top of everything has been going really well that I think they're going to become a name enough that when they start doing products beyond BB-8, they will have a much wider audience. Because I'm excited to see where they go from here, because, I mean, this really is going to make them a household name as far as not just toys, but, you know, just kind of electronic endeavors. Yeah, I mean, not only do they have the Sphero, they also have this, um, I I can't remember what it's called, but it's this other Sphero thing. It's like a, a cylinder with two treaded mm-hmm. ends on it and they can do all kinds of like tricks and like tumbling sort of stuff so they do really cool rc stuff and this is only the beginning oh yeah the soon the robot revolution will be upon us and uh the spheros will be rolling around dominating the earth <laughs> <laughs> now whereas we didn't get the information from the action figures that we expected to get there was actually a wealth of almost action figure like knowledge uploaded to starwars.com via their database yeah, I would say that was the biggest thing as far as speculation to come out of Forest Friday. I mean, that is the most official of Star Wars informational resources, Star Wars databank. It's their online encyclopedia. It's basically Wikipedia light. I mean, that's really where that is, which by the sounds like some sort of a dietary supplement. <laughs> but Star Wars databank added like 20 or so new entries on characters that we haven't seen action figures for. Some of them we've seen... Uh, promotional images or, or leaks or things like that but like this is you know, the first we're hearing names who the descriptions and and not just characters but also key locations including one that we're actually going to have to hide behind the spoiler wall yeah trust us um, if you care about knowing what's going to happen in this film or not you don't want us to talk about this thing <laughs> hey I, I, but it, what is worth talking about here is the fact that since they put it up in an official resource like the Star Wars databank, that means that we're going to know about it widely soon. And I would imagine that would mean it's the focus of a trailer. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if that trailer is like this week or if it's in November or when, but I got to imagine they're going to talk about it soon. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the highlights here. Not all of them, but a good chunk of them and talk about these crazy new characters. We don't have any pictures to go with any of this stuff. There's no images attached to any of them. But we do know what some of them look like, as Matt inferred there. One of the weirder ones is the Galvian Death Gang Enforcers, because there is an action figure of this. It looks like it's a Star Wars Black series, I, but I don't know where it came from. There was a, a retail chain in Thailand that actually released the whole second wave of Black Series figures what? that were not supposed to come out yet. That's insane. What else yes, was there? It was Captain Phasma, Death Gang Enforcer, and then I think there's a, I think there's a Constable Zuvia one too. <laughs> the new star of Episode 7, The Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think there was just another, like, uh, there's another Stormtrooper like Kylo. But the big <laughs> ones were Phasma and the Death Enforcer and mm. Zuvia. Death Gang Enforcers are, are weird because they kind of look like, uh, like Deadpool or... The guy Deadpool's based off of Slade. I think we did see them, though. I think that behind-the-scenes video from... San Diego. Diego. Yeah, from Comic-Con. I think we briefly saw them in that clip. for a split second, yes. And the description is this. The security soldiers of the Galvian Death Gang wear high-impact armor that makes them stand out amongst other deadly criminals. Next one we got is BU4D, a.k.a. Buford. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> Tough and hardworking, Buford is part of the ground crew that keeps the Resistance Starfighters fueled and combat ready. Yeah, go Buford. Get her done, Buford. I do like the idea of the greasy mechanic has a designation that means Buford. I mean, I, it's it's such a good sci-fi twist on that sort of kind of <laughs> trope. But you, you weren't fine with the greasy alien named Dex in the 50s diner. Like, well, what's, where do you draw the line? Well, it's a robot, so it's fine. As Rex can test, I always draw the line at Dexter Jetster. I, he's, he's, uh, Dexter. He's the best, man. There was art of the species that Dexter Jester is in, like, I believe some Battlefront preview art recently <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's on the cover he we've already got some headcanon there that he's avenging his uh well actually i believe he's avenging his uncle dexter jetster who is obi-wan's <laughs> friend and he actually has the camino kyber dart still it's like and, uh, I believe, yeah <laughs> I, I think it's, it's actually jetster <laughs> he's a war hero that, Matt and I, we, we had a little bit of a fanfic we were writing there for a little bit of, uh, of <laughs> just, just to, you know. I well, think. yeah, you know, once he perishes on the battlefield, he, like any good soldier in a grimy, you know, the sort of like battlefront Rogue One style grit war that that's supposed to portray, you know, when they find his body, he has the folded up photo, you know, with kind of burned edges. Yeah. And they unfold it. And it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) And Buford rescues him from the battlefield and uh, takes him to the medical thing and they just become partners after that. Perfect. Done. Uh, Matt, I found a little bit of our our fanfic here and I'm just going to read this one little bit. It's (laughs) the... uh, (laughs) The rebel soldier finally noticed the only other remnant of this fallen hero. An apron embroidered with a Jetster's Diner logo. What a goddamned hero, the soldier exclaimed. <laughs> Best Bantha burger in the core world. Always knew how to brew an amazing cup of Jawa juice. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to know more about that story, Spill and I are writing it. <laughs> <laughs> when you said you were writing a fanfic, I didn't think you actually like meant it. <laughs> oh no, they're submitting it to the Lucasfilm Story Group for approval for canon. Like Yeah, it was it was uh you know, it was it was text message writing, but you know, it became a story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful well done guys thank you let's talk let's talk about goss tours he's a uh, part of the tireless technical crew that provides mechanical support to the resistance fleet of starfire so i'm guessing goss tours and buford are just hanging out shooting the shit being comedic relief characters in the background we got elu atzi a skilled if occasionally reckless x-wing starfighter pilot for the resistance that's the bull shark looking dude yeah, we've seen him. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've, yeah, we've seen, seen him in leaks. He, I, I think he's going to be like Poe's like, wingmate. Cool. And uh, this is one of my personal favorites, ME8D9. Known as Emmy mm-hmm. by the unallied scoundrels on Tokodana, ME8D9 is a protocol droid that is often called upon to translate less than legal deals. I am a protocol droid. Am I not? <laughs> We're really hoping that Emmy is from the same series as EV99, the torture droid in Jabba's Palace. God, I hope so. Honestly, that would be something that would sell the entire film to me. <laughs> I'm already like, if we get some like 30 year advanced version, or you know what? Not even, even if it's like just a 8D9, it's a prior edition of that line, but yet he's managed to make himself into a black market involved <laughs> droid that's lasted for this long. That's the kind of character I need to know more about via an anthology novel. I love shitty droids. I mean, ones with bad attitudes. And oh, yeah. and EV-99 has the worst fucking attitude of any droid. <laughs> more than, I would say more than IG-88. 
IG88 doesn't talk though. IG88 just, you know, I mean, he does. He does. Yeah, but talk, he's an asshole. But not in the films, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Does out of, he out of derive film. pleasure by torturing other droids? <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I guess when you put it that way, doesn't he want to save droids? He's trying to help droids. IG88 is pro droid. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. Well, he loves the droids, you but, know what I mean? <laughs> But not Evie. Evie is a Evie's sadist. like Evie's like from Django Unchained. He talks about like the runaway slaves that came back and helped the masters. <laughs> That's like that in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically Samuel L. Jackson from Django. Yes, yes, that yeah. is no, totally. He is. He goes over to Java. He's like, those droids are not what they seem. And we're jumping around with droid pronouns, actually. But droid pronouns don't even really make a lot of sense anyhow. I believe Evie was using female pronouns what? Yes. when yeah yeah uh tales from jabba's palace oh and uh emmy i assume would be the same way because it's a, it's presumably the same series but i don't know hmm because the voice you really can't pin down that voice you really don't know no yeah. <laughs> the next one is tasu leech who actually has a lego minifig he leads the notorious kanji club gang an intergalactic criminal organization and uh another lego minifig is a kanji club gang member then we got Constable Zuvio. Here we go, guys. <laughs> Ready for the Star of Force Awakens surprise breakthrough role. A vigilant law officer on a mostly lawless world, the tough and humorless Constable Zuvio keeps order in a frontier trading post. Bless him. Bless him. Bless that man. <laughs> you know, that, that is a thankless job that's probably very difficult. Is he like Constable Odo? I mean, he was tough and humorless, no, on a frontier trading post. Oh, my God. The guy that just comes in and goes, all right, break it up here. Break it up. What is it? Nothing to see. Matt, you're making some connections there. Well, who is his quirk, so to speak? That's the real question. And also, when are we getting that TV series? Like a Zuvio, (laughs) Star Wars version quirk. Man, that'd be something. I want it. And uh, last but not least of the things we're talking about now, anyway, Tito. Tito is a small British scavenger that roams Jakku's vast wasteland on his semi-mechanical Lugabeast, which are beasts of burden found on frontier worlds. Lugabeasts are semi-mechanical creatures with faces forever hidden behind heavy armor plating. They are really weird looking. Hmm. And there is a cool little micro machine in one of the three packs of the Lugabeast with Tito on it. Now, well, to be fair, guys, Matt's been saying that that is the Matt Rex figure all weekend. He's been calling me a love abuse. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to throw him under the bus for that a little bit right now. Oh, beast. And, and, and I'm his Tito. I'm just riding him around from uh, Force Friday events. Trying to scavenge, the, scavenge them toys Seattle. for, uh, for yep. Force Friday. <laughs> I should be doing that. We have a little BB-8 and a net. Kind of like our shopping bag and strap it to the side of Matt Rex. And we just and go to the try and place. pawn them off on eBay. And then, you, I, then I buy one off you. And I go, this BB-8 has got a bad motivator. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to pull on us? So as for the rest of episode seven stuff that we can talk about at this moment, there's, of course, the short teaser that uh, debuted on Instagram not too long ago, which features it's it's really small, guys. And it's just like, hey, follow the Star Wars Instagram. We promise we'll have some big stuff on it. But we did get a shot of Finn holding Luke and Anakin's lightsaber, and it looked really cool. And we'll link to where you can watch it on this episode's page. I just want to point out about the lightsaber. Mm. This isn't spoilery, but it's one of the lines from the costumes and accessories, which I thought was very cool. It says, wield the weapon from the Republic's destroyer and its savior. (laughs) I thought that was a pretty cool line about that saber in particular. 
Yeah, the, <laughs> the the costume descriptions are seriously bonkers. <laughs> Honestly, it's not just the most revealing stuff, but some of the better written things about the yeah. new movies. The gravity that they put into describing these costumes makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they take their jobs very seriously. <laughs> costume companies. <laughs> Moving on to Rogue One. Rogue One is, of course, the first Star Wars spinoff film formerly called Star Wars Anthology Films, now called A Star Wars Story, as of the D3 convention, a name change we have had still no one address as to why they did that. It's coming out December 16th, 2016, and uh, is directed by Gareth Edwards and is going to be a brutal war film. We got some new actor news. We know that Mads Mikkelsen, who uh, was in Casino Royale and played Hannibal in the television series, you know, he usually plays villains, but um, he said recently that his character is not a bad guy. And um, also said that the uh, the film was going to be shot in Iceland and England, and that they're going to be doing three months worth of shooting. And it's uh, interesting to note that he didn't he didn't try to frame it in a way where it's like, well, my guy's not a bad guy; he just kills people. You know, it's it was like he was like, no, for real. Like I'm not trying to play off your expectations. This is something that's different. So don't don't be expecting an evil character or the antagonist, if you will. The speculation is he could be like a rebel commander or possibly an imperial defector. Yeah, defector would be perfect. And quite frankly, that should be a lot of what makes up the rebel military i would think i mean rebel officers should be mostly imperial defectors they have proper military training and it would make sense for them to be the bulk of the military officers we've also got a rumor that uh ben mendelson is going to play the primary antagonist of rogue one but there's another actor who's in the film who is going to be breaking some boundaries here peter cushing grand moff tarkin himself is going to be in the story but he's dead, Cap. How is that possible? <laughs> well, Doug, did you see the beginning of Ant-Man? Yeah. Did you remember last episode, I think? Is Michael Douglas dead? <laughs> no, no. But in the beginning of Ant-Man, he was made to look very, very young. That is true. And um, they are going to be doing what is being called by a unnamed source, one of the most complex and costly CGI recreations ever. And when I saw that article, my first thought was, oh my gosh, that's going to be really cool. My second thought was, oh. Please tell me the young Han Solo movie is going to be played by Harrison Ford. <laughs> and they're just going to make, <laughs> as we discussed know, previously, yeah, yeah. just make it Harrison Ford and de-age him. And man, I'm, I'm, I am so on board. Yeah, it's kind of funny. They did Tarkin, young Tarkin for uh, Revenge of the Sith. And if I recall, Rex, you might know more definitive, but I don't think that involved any CG. I think that was just prosthetic makeup. It was just prosthetic makeup. Prosthetic. And it's funny that out of the things that George Lucas was constantly criticized for was the overuse of CG, he decided to do that prosthetic. And now <laughs> Disney, if they choose to do Tarkin, will end up doing it CG and will be praised for how well it will be done because yeah. that process is just getting better and better. I think it was still a little awkward around the time of Tron Legacy, even though I still think most of the time that process was good enough. Sometimes it was glaringly bad, but you know it's gotten really good since then. Yeah, Ant-Man's was incredible. So if it's anything yes. like that and or better, I think they could pull it off for sure. This inside source had a very strange quote also. He said, Cushing is a pivotal plot line as he was the one to create Darth Vader. And there's a whole backstory <laughs> that will come out. <laughs> what? I don't know about that. I'm that, pretty sure I saw Darth Vader at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, that maybe debunks the whole thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> Tarkin, I mean, the way they've been kind of portraying him in the new supplemental canon material is that he's sort of like a big time technocrat and he's really into new technology which kind of makes sense with the death star and everything else but i always like 
the process of creating Vader was sort of like a general Grievous taken to the next level, like Grievous was the prototype for that. What they may have meant there, actually, was he was the one to create the Death Star. It may have been some kind of a ah, quote. That makes a lot because, more sense. I mean, that is the plot of the film. True. This is from the Daily Mail. This, uh, this got leaked, and they went on to say that the hardest part about this has been the task of creating Grand Moff Tarkin's legs and feet, because you never see them in the movie. And uh, as the story goes, and this is, this is from the article, when director George Lucas filmed the original Star Wars, he gave Cushing and other galactic Imperial officers ill-fitting leather riding boots. Cushing complained so bitterly that Lucas let him wear slippers, forcing cameramen to shoot from the knees up or have him standing behind the Death Star conference table. So as That's a, funny. Yeah. As a result, they're going through hours and hours of old footage from the horror movies that he was in to create his legs and feet and produce realistic movements. That Let seems me, like just a bit of a stretch to me. Uh, well, I mean, like, a bit of a stretch, but unless we're supposed to see him kicking some ass or something, just like, you know, marching down a hallway, like, at, yeah, you know, or, I, I don't think anyone would be like, hold on a second from the waist up. This is impeccable. But <laughs> he did not walk with that gait. That yeah, that's not how Tarkin walked. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's weird. And, you know, I'd rather it not be trying to recreate Peter Cushing's movements and just recreating some good old Raiders Lost Ark Last Crusade Nazi gait. I don't think they should be restricted to, you know, just because you played a character first doesn't mean you're the only one that can bring that character to life by the way you are. If any of this is true, because this could be a complete sack of lies. Yeah, that's true. And then the last tidbit we have from Rogue One, courtesy of actor Donnie Yen, he posted some uh, helmets behind the scenes, one old and two new. We got a classic Stormtrooper helmet, but then a black, weird, Imperial-looking helmet never seen before. And what looks like maybe like a sand trooper helmet, but like not white, like dusty, maybe like a rebel sandstorm kind of thing. We'll link to it on this episode's page. We can check that out yourself. Much to our surprise, there's also some episode eight news. <laughs> Benicio del Toro, who we rumored in a past episode to be involved with episode eight, has confirmed that he will be the villain in episode eight or a villain in episode eight. He was talking to Spanish radio station RAC1. The movie comes out May 26th, 2017, and he revealed that production begins in March. There's also some additional casting rumors that there's a female lead with Gina Rodriguez from Jane the Virgin, Tatania Maslany from Orphan Black, and Olivia Cook from uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl are all vying for this female lead of episode eight or a new female lead because uh, Daisy Ridley is still on board. Though weirdly, Boyega has still not been referenced as being a part of the episode eight production. Hmm. I'm sorry. He's just been so awesomely charismatic and great as the new poster boy for this franchise. There's no way that they could possibly be thinking of not having him involved in the movie somehow. I agree. Yeah, that would be very strange to me. Certainly, if that was the plan, they should be rethinking that plan and, you know, doing some additional filming to make sure that's not the case. Dear Lord, Cap, now you have me all worried. (laughs) if i thought there was a chance that his lack of being referenced in these press releases actually indicated something i would not have said it here i don't think he's not going to be in the film it's just very strange to me that he is continually not referenced oscar isaac and daisy ridley are the only ones who've been getting mentions as being on episode eight i don't get it but that's that's the current status quo such as it is the same way we haven't heard anything about lando like what's what's the deal with him billy d he'll be there I mean, I'm hoping for a surprise cameo, but we haven't heard much of anything. When you least expect it, it'll be on the screen. Well, 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 what have we here? (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to books. Now, with Force Friday, probably the legit biggest thing to happen as far as information comes from books. 
Star Wars Aftermath by Chuck Windig came out, and that book is the first piece of material to chronicle the new universe canon after Return of the Jedi. And uh, we have some excerpts we can read from that, but we're going to save that for later because we're pretty sure you don't want those spoilers. But other books that came out are these what are called middle grade novels, so basically uh, young adult novels, one featuring Luke, one featuring Leia, and one featuring Han and Chewie. Now, we talked about these in the past, but uh, we have some more information now. All their descriptions ended with the kind of ambiguous line hidden in the story are also hints and clues about the upcoming film, Star Wars The Force Awakens, making this a must-read for fans old and new. Well, the nature of those hints and clues has become apparent to us. The books have gorgeous cover illustrations, wraparound covers, and also interior illustrations, courtesy of Phil Noto. And this, along with some of the content therein, has actually informed us that each of these books features a character who will be portrayed in The Force Awakens, at least somewhat prominently. In the Luke book, The Weapon of a Jedi, they mention a dangerous duel between Luke and a strange new villain, which is likely a character named Sarko, who uh, was featured in a leaked Force Awakens coloring book and a forthcoming action figure. His description is a scavenger and traitor who scours frontier worlds for riches. Sarko Plank must wear a specialized mask that keeps his native atmosphere circulating through his alien lungs. So he's definitely in the book, and he's definitely in the film. Likewise, there's uh, Leia's droid, a new droid that works for Leia and the Rebels, PZ-4CO. And in the Leia book, which is the only one that takes place between Empire and Jedi, the others take place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, he's a droid who, I believe the way the book is framed, it starts and it's General Leia Organa after the fall of the Empire, chronicling her memoirs, and PZ is helping her do that. So the story is mostly a flashback, but has this framing device. Another character featured in this, prominently on the cover, I might add, is none other than Neem Num. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some heavy breathing there, Matt. I don't know. It's just a strange inclusion to bring him to the forefront, but hey. Yeah, we were talking we'll about see. this last episode. Neem Num, who is Lando's co pilot in the Battle of Endor, has been all over the expanded universe. I mean, hey, if they justify his reason for being he, in Return of the Jedi, then He was sure. in the behind-the-scenes video that they showed at Comic-Con. We had those leaked promotional images of him looking all heroic. I, I don't understand why it was like, no Lando, but like, <laughs> let's grab us some knee and numb because our fan base demands it. How is he, like, heroic? He was scared during that entire battle. And, like, and even, <laughs> lest we not forget that Celeste is one of the planets that they're putting into Battlefront. We are getting the Celestian treatment over all forms of media. It's very strange. Which, whatever, is fine, but Yum Yum, he was a viewer. He wasn't a participant in, <laughs> in the Battle of, uh, of Endor. I don't know, man. The Falcon flew through that really narrow corridor. That... Yeah, and the whole time he's like, ah, also, <laughs> like he's scared while Lando's it, like, I got it. <laughs> it's fine, fine. It might have been a language barrier thing, but didn't he technically realize first that the shields were still up? Like it was well, no, Lando realized Lando. It. But, but he was the one who detected it, though, Nia Nunn. I mean, he was sitting there and he said that and he goes, wait a minute, how could they be jamming us if like it, it well, wasn't Nia, no, until Nia he Nia realized. Nia Nunn was like, wait a minute, I can't get a signal. It must be jammed. And then Lando's like, that's impossible. Why would they jam it unless they knew we were coming? Oh, my God. And like, then he realizes. Yeah. The final book is Smuggler's Run, a Han Solo adventure. And I just want to take this moment here to say that's some bullshit. This is clearly stated in the description. Han Solo and Chewbacca the Wookiee team up for an all-new adventure. Fuck you. 
That is a Han Solo and Chewbacca adventure. Why? <laughs> Why is the Wookiee always a second-class citizen? This is some legit bullshit here. He's just always been an auxiliary to being... There's never the big four. It's always the big three. But I, yeah, he's a co-pilot. You know, he's not his assistant pilot. He's the co-pilot of the Millennium Falcon. Rumor has it that this book actually deals with uh, Chewbacca and the, the situation in A New Hope where uh, he didn't receive a medal. Yeah, I haven't read it myself yet, so I don't know how they've resolved that. But we've heard that there's a scene that opens with Chewbacca holding a medal, looking at it. Now, that the expanded universe canon before stated that Wookiees did not accept medals, and that's why he didn't get one at the end of A New Hope. Oh, if, if, you, if they stick with that, that's an interesting it is. take on it. Yeah, it's a, it's a cultural thing. But what we know, having not read this yet, is that that somehow will be discussed in this book. And the character that carries over, and this is, again, this is between A New Hope and Empire, so this is kind of interesting. It may be in the framing device due to the age of this character. Game of Thrones actor Jessica Henwick is playing a rebel pilot in episode 7 named Jessica Pava. And that actress is depicted, down to her beauty mark, portraying the character in the novel. So it's definitely her, and then that would make her definitely too young to appear, unless she was like a very young child, maybe, maybe, in this book. So it must be part of a framing device. Perhaps all the books have framing devices. Yeah, I believe there's framing device for all three of them. I know for sure that the Luke book is frames with the Force Awakens time period. Well, and there you go. I guess that's, that's yeah, the nature. I think, I, think it's, I think it's the Repio telling a story. That makes sense. So there's a taste in all of these, and um, hopefully they're fun. Hopefully they're good. The Han Solo adventure is written by Greg Rucka, who I can vouch for as being completely awesome, which is a good segue into our comic section, because this week, on September 9th, Greg Rucka's Shattered Empire comic comes out from Marvel, and that is a four-part comic series that will be done by the time that Force Awakens hits theaters. In fact, the collection of all four parts will be out, and you can pre-order it on this episode's page. It takes place immediately following Return of the Jedi, and if uh, we're correct, is about the parents of Oscar Isaac's character, Poe Dameron. It seems pretty strong to be leaning that way. You can also check out a three-page preview on comicbook.com, and we'll link to it on this episode's page. But that's not all. No, no. As you may recall, long ago, before Shattered Empire was announced... They said that there was going to be a 3PO comic book. This is the first thing they mentioned is a comic that was going to take place after Return of the Jedi. Well, we haven't heard anything. There was a conspicuous silence. However, that book is coming out, and it's a one-shot to be released in December. A 3PO solo adventure where we learn the whys and hows of 3PO's red arm that you may have seen he has in The Force Awakens. Cap, I have a theory. Okay. And... I'm going to preface this theory by saying, first of all, do we really care how he got the red arm? No, we, we sure as shit don't. <laughs> I hate when things go from being interesting color, and I'm not talking about the redness. I'm just talking about, like, you know, like kind of fluff things, say, oh, wow, things have happened. That's cool. Like, he's got a red arm. In Attack of the Clones, you know, he's got his, the, the, the plating, plating on now. Yeah. It actually wasn't even gold in Attack of the Clones. It wasn't gold until Revenge of the well, Sith. In the, but clo- never- in the Clone Wars cartoon, they debut it. Yeah, it's like, never did I sit there and think, like, I need to know how that happened. Never. But that aside, my theory cap, my theory that's not true, (laughs) is that (laughs) this one shot will actually involve Kaibo Ren from the droids cartoon and the droids comics and will somehow connect. Maybe he chopped off like that's actually the first time they've encountered the Knights of Ren and he will end up chopping off 3PO's arm and they need to give him a red arm. Lord Vader was your maker. No, that's not true. It was Master Anakin. (laughs) 
Yeah, as you mentioned last episode, there was actually a character in the animated series Droids that has a conspicuously similar name to Kylo Ren, Kaibo Ren. And uh, yeah, I, I like that theory, Matt. I hope it's true. <laughs> I, I do too, and I hope I hope the style because something about the cover of this one shot just screams the old Marvel and even the early Dark Horse Droid comics that yes. like I just want it to be that level of intelligence and imagination and and I'm not saying bad intelligence I that that's not an insult I just mean like it was on such a 80s Saturday morning cartoon level that that's where I want this one shot to exist. What's particularly notable about this one shot in spite of it being centered around a star wars fact that no one really should give a damn about it is written and illustrated by james robinson and tony harris a legendary comic book team their run on starman which is a, a dc comic from the 90s is generally considered to be one of the greatest comic book runs at least when you're considering mainstream comics of all time it's either in the top 10 or near the top 10 it's a beloved comic, and they're working together on this one shot for 3PO for the first time in two decades. That's great. What does it Fantastic. mean? Fantastic. I don't know. Why would they pump the star power into this 3PO one shot? So I guess be aware this is happening, and maybe it's more important than it seems. I can't wait. I need to know how that red arm gets there. It's probably <laughs> one of, it's, it's one of the most... Uh, I, you know, fuck Kylo Ren. I don't care about... Any of the new characters, any of the new... I don't care. This red arm. Red arm. How did it happen? Need, how did this red arm get there, guys? What's the deal with the red arm? I don't know. I can't tell you. I need to know. I gotta know. <laughs> James Robinson and Tony Harris are going to tell you in okay, December. <laughs> All right. Now, Star Wars Rebels is coming back, and they put out the amazing, amazing debut of season two, like months early for seemingly no reason, but we'll link to where you can watch it on this episode's page, because so damn. Good. If you've never watched the show before, just give the season two premiere a spin, because it is a powerful, powerful, powerful Star Wars experience. On the Blu-ray for Rebels season one, Dave Filoni, the showrunner, talked a bit about season two. Here's a couple quick notes. The Inquisitor in season one was considered the Grand Inquisitor. and the Inqu- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Prisoners that we see in season two were uh, ranked below him. That is not only interesting, but also disappointing because I liked the Inquisitor character, but I didn't think that he was like the maximum badassness that an, a, yeah. a grand Inquisitor could be. There were better Inquisitors in the, uh, the old expanded universe. Ah, but this is what Vader's for. This is Vader's job now. Let's hope so. I agree with you, Matt. Like, we could have definitely gotten more from that character. We'll learn more about Hera, 
who her father is, where she came from, etc. Which is funny that he made a point of saying that because to know more about Hera, all you have to do is get Ultimate Star Wars, where you'll see that, oh, Hera's past goes back to an episode of Clone Wars, and we already know who her father is. And not just an episode of Clone Wars, but he's also the protagonist slash antagonist of the Lords of the Sith book, because he is the one that is trying to kill Vader and Palpatine. Okay, there you oh, go. And that's, wow, that is a canonical awesome. book. Yeah. So Cham Sindala, like he's now seeding himself throughout the entire canon timeline. Like we have his first appearance in the very beginning of the Clone Wars. And then now he's going to be doing his thing in Rebels. Like that's awesome. That's good in-universe material. And then finally, Zeb has, quote, an awakening in season two and comes into a better understanding of what happened to his people and who his adversary really is. Mm. Now, the emphasis is not mine, but I did like the emphasis because their heart and, and State of the Empire's hearts are clearly as one. When you hear the word awakening, you think that there, there truly must right. be some kind of connection, whether or not it's really there. Yeah, now you have my brain working. Yeah, was Zeb's uh, species taken out by the Knights of Ren? <laughs> or if, like, you're finding out who his enemies really are, what if, I mean, would they pit him against one of his own people? As, as in, like mandalorians or even jedi that could be really serious yeah it'd be interesting to see from the world of games we have a really great quote from daniel erickson who uh, wrote the old republic and is now working on the star wars mobile role-playing game star wars uprising which takes place after return of the jedi he said the expanded universe lucasfilm now neglects from canon is fully up for grabs giving creators whether you're kabam making uprising or chuck windig writing star wars aftermath plenty of additional material to draw from. I was a huge Expanded Universe fan for a long time, and we have been hugely encouraged. What we did is we went back to the EU and grabbed the stuff that didn't make any sense, but stuff we thought was fantastic. We took it to the core Lucasfilm story team and worked out how to make it into canon, how to give it roots that would feed into what's coming next. That's one of the best quotes that I've read about the whole shutdown of the EU. What's funny, I just read before our broadcast a great article on Grantland, an interview with, uh, or at least a kind of a reactionary, you know, post-interviewing Chuck Wendig about Aftermath. He had the same feelings about how he was given freedom to sort of pick from that, but had the opposite view of, I needed it to stand on its own, I couldn't just start seeding. Like and he also stated that he was a huge fan of the old Expanded Universe. But then started talking about the fatigue and, you know, he talked about how when you used to be a expanded universe writer, you would end up getting in the mail stacks of books because it's like, this is the core of what you can't violate mm -hmm. because we've formed so much. And now that's not the case anymore. You have so much freedom and you want everything to stand on your own. You don't want to start building that book back up or at least not with things that already have histories that are sort of ingrained in people's minds. And it's just like reading the complete opposite approach from Uprising's creative team. But I guess with different mediums, maybe you have a different perspective. It's true. I mean, with a guy who was writing something like The Old Republic, which has so many lines of text, so much dialogue, so much story, he's a guy who loves to get his hands dirty with the world at large. Mm -hmm. And needing to have all the layers of a role-playing game, like you need to know where everything comes from and where it's going. So it's easier to pull from those ideas and make those old ideas work in the new canon than to go the opposite direction, build it from scratch. 
In our potpourri of other stuff, we got uh, the secret cinema Empire Strikes Back is going on right now. That is where the group that built the third-scale version of Hill Valley from Back to the Future, a fully interactive, immersive experience with actors and reenactments and all that, well, they're doing Star Wars, they're doing Empire Strikes Back, and they're doing it right now. At the very moment that we're recording this, our Bothan spies are indulging in whatever secret experience secret cinema has created. And if all goes according to plan, when next we convene, we will have a first-hand report from what's been going on over there. I can't wait to hear those details. I'm so jelly. And then finally, to the tune of how restrictive Disney has become with information about this forthcoming film, in addition to Django Fett's head falling off, the other thing I remember most about spoilers via outside media to the films was the track on the episode one soundtrack, Qui-Gon's Noble End. Oh, yeah. I was when I like, first read that, oh, God. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I, was, I thought we had a brand new hero that was going to meet his end in episode three, let alone like... You know what's funny? I remember exactly where I was when I read it, too. Me, too. I was at a Borders, and it was on the shelf, and I picked it up and read it, and I was just like, oh, my God. My dad brought it home. I was in the living room. I read the back of it, and I was like, Qui-Gon's Noble End? Well, I, can't, <laughs> I can't believe they would. Why are they telling me this? Why, why, why remember, did they choose a different name? I remember name? where I was. My dad was driving the car. We just had picked it up, and we were driving home, and I was reading the back, and we had the disc playing. I'm just reading the back, and it says Qui-Gon's Noble End, and I just thought, oh, they wrote that, so I'm going to think he's going to die. <laughs> Just to, just to freak me out, and they're going to pull it to us where it's like, nah, he's not really dead, just because they don't, I mean, because why would they do that? Why would they be that careless about spoilers? Well, the ultimate defense for this is for that soundtrack to not come out until the movie's out, and that's the case. The soundtrack has been officially announced, coming out December 18th, same day as The Force Awakens. Uh, so I'm not going to pick it up for spoilers. It's like, I don't, I don't want to risk it. Different titles and release it earlier. Yeah. I mean, like, why can't they just like, why does it have to be called Qui-Gon's Noble End? Why couldn't it just been called a noble end? Right. right. You know, yeah, yeah. before we open the blast doors, now is as good a time as any for Willow Watch. Willow. All right, so Willow Watch for the Uninitiated is where we look for signs that there may be a sequel to George Lucas's 1980s fantasy epic, Willow, starring Warwick Davis and Val Kilmer. Since we initiated this project as a joke, we have uncovered... I was never joking, sir. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe a joke to you. Yeah, no. Now, I, I love Willow, I lo- I would, and I would love to see a sequel to Willow. Yeah, and you we- apparently love to joke about it, too, because I, I've, since the beginning, <laughs> wanted to see a sequel. Well, we've uncovered so much about Willow, the history of Willow, and details on attempted sequels to Willow. Or TV shows, even, cartoons. Yeah, that we believe that there is a real chance that Disney-owned Lucasfilm could bring Willow back in some way, shape, or form. In fact, George Lucas himself was talking about a Willow television series as recently as 2005. Yes, 10 years ago. But Like, Renzis is coming out and he's talking Willow. Yeah, exactly. And there was also, of course, as, as you mentioned, Doug, an animated series that was in development that never came out. We mm-hmm. believe there's a lot of data pointing to it being just so easy for them to grab a hold of a Willow story bible, for example, and build a new film or other property or comic book series set in that world, a Willow sequel. It's bound to happen sooner or later. So we're looking for signs of that, and we're looking to encourage that. We're going to be talking with Bob Dolman, the guy who wrote the screenplay for Willow, in a uh, forthcoming very special episode, all Willow Watch episode of State of the Empire. And we're also going to be talking to Alan Varney, the guy who wrote the Willow source book, which is one of the uh, greatest fonts of Willow knowledge from the time of the film. Now, 
there was an actual published sequel to Willow. It's a trilogy of novels, story by George Lucas, novels actually written by famed X-Men author Chris Claremont. The first one came out in 96, and I started reading it back then. Uh, I don't remember really anything about it. Never finished it. I was, I was still quite young. And we've been told by fans, do not read this. It is not representative of Willow. It is really bad on top of it. Hmm. However, we've gone to extremes to find out information about Willow. Insane extremes. But we haven't read the officially published sequel to Willow because it sounds like we won't like it. Well, everyone's been discouraging us. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm taking the plunge. I'm finally doing it. I've started reading Shadow Moon, the first book. And uh, man, the first chapter, the prologue, it's great. It has Willow. It has Mad Mardigan. It has Sorsha. It has Rule and Frangine, the brownies. But at the end of this prologue, uh, everything, it's just, it's all over. It turns into a completely different story. At the start of chapter one, Willow's going by the name Thorn. What? Based on a series of awkward conversations that happened in the prologue where Sorsha and Mad Mardigan gave him this like nickname. It, it, they, this whole weird conversation happened where you have the makings of him in chapter one going by another name, after which a cataclysm has happened, wiping out Tira's lean, killing Mad Mardigan and Sorsha. The only character who survives, unless the brownies do, I'm not sure yet, is Elora Dannon, the princess, the baby from the movie. I mean, the book basically starts with a massive fuck you. Hey, you like Willow? Fuck you! Yeah. It's like it's been a separate fantasy story right. that someone tried to shoehorn in to a Willow universe, but in order to do that, you had to destroy everything that came before. Yeah. I mean, tell new and exciting stories, but it's not the best way to operate like a, a, a franchise spinoff thing of, hey, you like this stuff? They're all dead. Mm-hmm. And, then this, and I might add, this only happened, that sequence happens with all of them dying only like a very short while after the end of the first film. So they didn't even get a chance to live. So Laura, Laura Dan is still just an infant. She was magically saved somehow. I haven't gotten to that part yet. She's actually the main character of this trilogy of books. Like, Willow, you got to save her so that she'll maybe die, but magically be saved again, well, even though you're not there. Well, what they're implying is that the thing that she was meant to save, the world she was meant to save, is actually from the cataclysm, which happens then. But then I also hear by that time they've made her into a completely unlikable character. But I'm getting to there. I haven't gotten there yet. On the internet, because this is the mid-90s when these books came out, there's not like a wealth of information like interviews or anything to describe what led to these massive changes. But George Lucas did say this. When I wrote the story of Willow, I began with the pre-story. But the full story was yet to be told. Awkward quote. Sounds like he's talking about, you know, Star Wars and the prequels. But this is actually him talking about Willow. I don't get it. Like, I, I don't get it. So he was saying Willow was the hobbit to the Lord of the Rings, which is right. what these books allegedly represent. Yeah. Well, that ties into some of my Willow Watch news a little bit, which is uh, I was doing more digging just to see just any little, like you say, any little hints about a story Bible or what was the, you know, the process of getting the movie made. And this all goes back to rumors that Lucas originally tried to acquire the rights to film The Hobbit. Oh, yeah? I didn't realize that. Well, this I don't know if this is 100% true, but this is according to the rumors that he tried to acquire the rights to film The Hobbit, live-action version of The Hobbit, and he couldn't get it. So he obviously was fascinated by fantasy stories, and he decided he was going to make his own. So this was his own take on that. And if you extrapolate from that what you were just saying, it's like, oh, this was The Hobbit to his Lord of the Rings. This was the lead-in to like the much larger, world-shaking series of events. Then I'm wondering if... What was written in the book, like I just said you know, a minute ago, oh, it feels like it's a different story just shoehorned into one thing. Well, is that the case, or was it always meant to be like, extremely different? Was it always meant to be like a huge departure from what was coming before? How much of it really is George Lucas, and how much of it is... Chris Claremont? Is, yeah, it's Chris Claremont. 
Yeah, I don't know. And I, I want to read these books, whether I like them or not. And I would like to talk to Chris Claremont. I actually spoke with him briefly about it at, at a convention. Like, hey, would you want to talk about this? He said, yes, I would. Have you read the books? I was like, I haven't, but I would read the books if we were yeah. going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, okay. Well, then hopefully we can get it straight from him. But, yeah. uh, but the, the other little tidbit of news is that I had was um, some Willow fans may already know that several years ago, there was an April Fool's Day joke on StarWars.com where they announced that Willow was going to be officially part of the Star Wars canon just in a different timeline somewhere else. But on, uh, I believe on Wikipedia, under the Willow section, there is a whole bullet point list of things that Willow actually has in common with Star Wars and references that are made in other Star Wars media to Willow. It's actually a pretty extensive list, so I won't go through the whole thing, but the one that I thought was most interesting was that during pre-production for The Phantom Menace, when they were trying to decide the look of what the Jedi would look like during that time period, they originally weren't going to go for the brown robes that Obi-Wan Kenobi wears in, you know, A New Hope. They were going to go for Mad Mardigan's armor set. And if we look at those early uh, concept like from, from designs... From Lane. Yes. Yeah. yeah, if we look at some of those early concepts of Willow stuff where you get to see the weird hairdo and stuff that almost looks like a Padawan. I remember at the time we were like, this is almost like a, a weird Jedi haircut. So it was, um, there's more and more stuff that's suggesting to me that there is like, again, there is a, a, a Willow bible out there full of concept art full of designs full of stories things that lucas was plucking from even during episode one the phantom menace like trying to get weird or crazy ideas to fill that void that's really crazy talking you also unearth a video with dave filoni the showrunner for rebels but also the showrunner for clone wars i'd never seen this before this is done during season four he answered some fan questions and two of them pertain to willow and how they related to the clone wars yeah during the episode Mercy Mission, there's a character called Orphney who has fairy-like magic powers. And Filoni was asked, is this the Force? And his response was really vague. He said that she wields nature magic that's tethered to the Force, but not wholly in and of the Force. He compared it to a light side component to the Night Sisters, the Force Witches. And that Filoni himself felt it was inclusive of the magic of Willow to the Star Wars universe. And there were other hints that magic outside of the Force could exist in the Star Wars universe. One of the examples was in Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker says, Threepio, tell the Ewoks that if they do not listen to you, you'll become angry and use your magic. And Threepio doesn't deny the existence of magic. He just says, I don't know, what, 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 what do you mean? Like He just, does, he just doesn't quite get it. So uh, magic is at least a concept in right. the Star Wars universe, whether or not it's factual or, you know, or not. And the other question that Filoni was asked was by a user named Nelwyn88. <laughs> Kudos to you. Uh, if, Nelwyn, yeah. If you're out there, Nelwyn88, uh, drop us a line. We should be BFFs. He was asked if in the episode Nomad Droids, where the droids are tied up by little people who sound like the brownies from Willow, was that a direct Willow reference? The answer was yes. Lucas didn't ever want to reuse anything, but the team from Clone Wars really wanted to include something with the brownies, so they made them different colors, but they could not resist making them sound like Rule and Frangine. Filoni want to say who knows we may slip some other Bav Morda Mad Mardigan references in in the future of course Clone Wars was canceled unceremoniously I might add but uh, perhaps in Star Wars Rebels we might get a little taste of the world of Willow keep an eye and ear out for that thus ends Willow Watch and if you're wanting to stay spoiler free thus ends your journey here for State of the Empire thanks so much for listening Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud to get the latest State of the Empire and check out nerdyshow.com. For the rest of you, brave travelers, it's time to open the blast doors. Open the blast doors.
Let's talk about episode seven. Woo! Matt and Matt Rex, you guys dropped a truth bomb on us, and I don't know where this comes from, so you'll have to tell me that Finn is not named Finn. He's named FN2817. Actually, I believe it's 2187. I believe I got that wrong. Okay. I apologize. Also, to be fair, we don't necessarily know that's his name, but we know that's his designation. Which Phasma addresses him as, and apparently, right. in whatever this is from, Finn also addresses himself as. Oh. Yes, his toy, he gives him his own designation as FN2187. Well, that's like your name rank serial number. True, yeah. true. But the fact that his name is Finn, when he needs to give it after he defects, we're now wondering... Abrams having said that there is significance to them not having last names. Ray, probably because she has some connection to the Solos or the Skywalkers or both. I think Finn's connection is that he doesn't have or know his actual real name or last name. He simply, in order to become more himself, he drops the number designation and he simply becomes FN. He becomes Finn. Implying that so, he was probably a clone? Like that he a, was um... a clone or conscripted as a child? You know, I don't know what the First Order is really like. Rebels has established that there are proper Imperial Academies that you can enlist. But also, maybe they are sort of using clones in some respect. Or, the clone thing is just not part of it. It's just that he has no past. He has literally grown up to be a soldier. I mean, the EU before, I mean, there was always the talk of the Empire abducting children and conscripting them. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that was always a thing. I mean... It's interesting that this is post-Empire and First Order, and to think that they would be using the same tactics, uh, I don't know. But, you know, there's always that possibility as well. Now, yeah. was this from a talking action figure? Another talking 12-inch figures? Yes, these are from the talking 12-inch figures. Well, there's another uh, talking 12-inch figure that was uh, somewhat revealing, that if I'd gotten that kick-ass talking mask, perhaps we would have gotten to taste firsthand, but uh, there's <laughs> a 12-inch talking Kylo Ren figure revealing what his voice sounds like. And uh, it just so happens that IGN posted a video of that, and here is the audio. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. Is it true? You're just a scavenger. Don't be afraid. I feel it too. You know what I've come for. Don't fight it. You know you can't. I'm immune to the light. That weapon is mine. Together, we will destroy the Resistance and the Last Jedi. Woo, chills. Now, he, he, there's some loaded lines in there. I think my favorite is that it's true or you're just a scavenger. Because the way he says it, it he says it with kind of like disgust or disappointment. Right, like obviously he's referring to Rey. Yeah. And obviously he thinks it's somebody of importance, so she must be the one who's a blood relation to the Skywalkers or the Solos. But then who's he speaking to when he says, together, you and I will crush the Resistance and The Last Jedi? Maybe um, Snoke? Possibly Snoke. We'll, eh, maybe. we'll talk about uh, in, a, in a little bit. But maybe Finn. Maybe he's tempting Finn in the forest in that scene we've just seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I buy that. And also that he's immune to the light. I don't know if he's just saying, hey, uh, you can't trick me with your goodness. Or if he's like, you know, like, no, I, I, I got some different shit going on. Like, you can't even touch me. Hmm. So uh, that's some ominous stuff. But let's get to that Halloween costume nonsense we talked about. These are just fucking crazy. Here's one from uh, Costume Express. Deluxe Kylo Ren costume for men. There's been an awakening in the Force. One man, standing by himself in a snowy forest clearing, can feel it. What the fuck? <laughs> the Force <laughs> and the powers of the dark side are welling up within his body. <laughs> 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 he draws his lightsaber. 
and three red blades extend from the handle, ready for battle. From behind a shroud of black robes, beneath a shadowy mask, Kylo Ren knows that the Knights of Ren are one step closer to completing their mission. Did they just see like an animated gif of that one shot in the trailer and just extrapolate the rest from that? It kind of sounds that way, yeah. I don't think that you can get it passed into like being sold like that, can you? I mean, also, where is this text? Is it on the costumes or is it on the website for the costume? That would require us actually being able to find these costumes, and that's yeah. trickier, especially the, the costumes for adults. The kids' costumes, there's some on the shelves right now. Yeah. CostumeExpress.com has these listings, or some of them. This one for Ray is actually kind of freaking crazy. It says, after invading the Starkiller base, one member of the Resistance has split from her group and found herself in a massive room full of First Order soldiers, <laughs> completely, completely surrounded by stormtroopers with blasters and Knights of Ren with lightsabers. No! <laughs> she seems to be totally outnumbered. Unfortunately for her enemies, though, they've made a big mistake. It's not about the strength of the weapon, but the strength of the warrior that wields it. No, you can't write that stuff unless that's going to happen, right? I don't know. <laughs> that's that fucking bonkers. <laughs> it's like, what here's the, the thing. Who, who would be dumb enough <laughs> to release that kind of information, but yet be trusted enough to be given access to the script or see the film? Hey, well, they, a lot of these people online that have claimed they've seen the film, it's all bullshit. But one of the things is that you do actually get to see Knights of Ren within the movie. That seems to be the connecting link to all of these so-called I've seen the movie BS. So I, maybe there's more than one in the movie. I did a little bit of digging here. And Matt Martin, who is the manager of digital content and community relations at Lucasfilm, he was asked about this because people are just saying, like, what the fuck is going on? With these costume <laughs> things? They didn't come past me for approval. I know that much. My guess is the retailer is editorializing a bit. So his I even, guess maybe he hasn't seen the movie <laughs> but at the same rate that seems like way more than editorializing that's like it does that's straight up that's fiction bad. like it's just non <laughs> meanwhile the Spiro guys didn't get shit but these costume dudes yeah <laughs> who the fuck like, are these people <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other one for Ray says that she does, in fact, live in a non-functioning Imperial AT-AT. Uh, that has been kind of a rumor slash concept art for a long time. Long time. Yeah, I'd believe it. Do we have another one? You got to hit us with another one. Oh, okay. There's some freaking bonker town ones. All right. <laughs> I'm already impressed uh, with the first two. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's one that was for Captain Phasma that was actually really cool. It's been decades since the Empire fell to the Alliance and left the galaxy without a supreme ruler. Now in Star Wars Episode 7, the struggle between light and dark begins again. Clad in a suit of silvery armor, eyes staring out from behind a shining mask, one warrior is prepared to bring the stars themselves to their knees for the glory of the First Order. Her name, Phasma. Okay. Bring the stars themselves? Like the now, now that's, that's a loaded statement that we're going to yeah. get to. We're not there yet. We're get, we got to <laughs> supply all the evidence for the truth bomb that we're about to drop. Just to comment though on some of the other stuff in there, that's why I think Finn is particularly special in that he may be a clone or someone that was trained specifically from birth, at least, to be elite trooper, is I think he's in that core of Phasma's, which is why she has that line of dialogue in the 12-inch figure, 
where she's demanding that he present his weapon for inspection and you know calls him out by name i think throughout the saga she is going to be like on his tail and calling him and antagonizing him kind of like lay miz as fn2187 the connection here is cell 2187 is where leo is being kept <laughs> so that is, that is the the numbers referentialness weird yeah so this one is from a kylo ren costume and I'm assuming this is talking about the fight between Kylo Ren and Finn that we've seen in some of the trailers. Or, or the, the shots that we can put together might be a fight there. On a desolate battlefield, the forces of the evil Knights of Ren and the heroic resistance have finally met. Warriors on both sides have drawn their blasters and the colored beams of their lightsabers, waiting to attack. When Kylo Ren raises his hand, covered by a long black glove, the knights charge into battle. Wait a second. That sounds like a fucking <laughs> full, all the knights and all the resistance fighting on the same battlefield. It's like, so attack of the clone it's, shit at the end there. Yeah. yeah. Can we conjecture that this might be like at Maz Kanata's castle? I, I don't know. I'm getting such a crusaders medieval vibe from totally. all of this. They all have broad sabered blades and like, oh my, uh, I can't. If there is some sort of shield also involved in this fighting this hack and slash fighting i will be super excited about that prospect like i don't know how that would be designed or what it would do they did have there were some shield stuff in um clone wars they did some of the commando droids had these cool shields that had they were like actually the gungans actually it was very similar to the gungans i don't know why i forgot about those probably because they're gungans but uh (laughs) um what was cool the commando droids yeah 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 yeah. uh speciesist but celestians gungans who the fuck's the difference right yeah but only humans the droids (laughs) like stuck their guns through the rays which was really cool that they could shoot through their shield but anyway there's so much like medieval imagery not even imagery because we don't have it yet other than the actual broadsaber but there's so much medieval phrasing and hints and spoilers and i'm excited i, I want to read this one more because this one's crazy too so there's some really see what's crazy about these is i feel like there's some very particular wording and very choice phrasing that's being used in these that i, I don't know it's weird so this is another one for kylo it says now in star wars episode seven the force the darkness and the light has reawakened heroes are scrambling to claim the powers for good but many would rather use them for evil the Knights of Ren are calling your name. Kylo Ren is just one of the names that belong to the Knights of Ren, an army of the dark side that craves to reclaim its lost power. So allied, much crusade. Allied with the First Order, it's their mission to take down the Resistance and anything else that stands in their way. Like, whoa. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> There's one that it's fucking two paragraphs long. Okay. Um, Who's it for? It's uh, Kylo Ren, full helmet for men. And they're all for men, by the way. And it's very important that they're like, no, we're not standing with you, Target. We got to make sure that no little girls wear these. It's too scary. <laughs> There's been an awakening. And he can feel it. Cloaked in black, an unknown figure, half hidden by the scattered shadows, cast by the wintry forest trees, steps into a frosted clearing. As he draws his lightsaber with its crisscrossing beams of blood red, he reveals evil intentions. <laughs> <laughs> is this bad translated or something i don't know <laughs> but his face remains concealed behind a mask of silver and black with a single gaze striking fear into the hearts of your enemies 30 years after the battle of endor tore the galactic empire to pieces new forces of darkness and light have awakened this is the story that is unveiled in star wars episode 7 and one of its key players is the dark knight kylo ren an affiliate of the knights of ren 
Kylo Ren is part of the First Order, an organization that seeks to control the galaxies like the Empire did before it. Most well-known for his custom-built broadsword lightsaber, Kylo Ren's helmet is the last thing his resistance enemies see before they fall. Buy the fucking mask. Here's two paragraphs. Yeah. Whoa. Man, this Kylo Ren... They're making the knights sound like a whole separate... We've just allied with the First Order to execute our needs type shit. It's nuts. Yeah, there's some really bizarre details here. JJ actually recently... uh filled us in on the pecking order with Kylo Ren that he's not the boss and that he's not a Sith. You mentioned Snoke earlier. Kylo operates under Supreme Leader Snoke, who's, as JJ says, a powerful figure on the dark side of the Force, but not the Sith. Kylo Ren is not a Sith. Snoke is Andy Serkis's character, who's a mocap, and he's also the voice from the trailer. Abrams also offered up some uh, more background on the First Order, he said that they came out of conversations about what would have happened if the Nazis all went to Argentina, but then started working together again. What could be born of that? Could the First Order exist as a group that actually admired the Emperor? Could the work of the Emperor be seen as unfulfilled? And could Vader be a martyr? Could there be a need to see through what didn't get done? And so that's the First Order. But then we got two separate things here. A little side note from the action figure perspective, the, the Chewie figure that's out right now, any version of Chewbacca has this description, and I'm just going to say I am reading too much into this, but faithful first mate and co-pilot, Chewbacca has loyally stood by his companion's side throughout the twisting fortunes of a galaxy in turmoil. There's some kind of bizarre past tense. It has. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Chewbacca stands loyally by his captain's side. Right. Maybe I'm looking too much into it, or maybe, as we have been saying, for months now, Han Solo is going to die in this movie. I don't know. That, uh, you might be reading a little too much into it because it's like trying to make a narrative for the back of a toy box. It's okay to use past tense, especially when you're talking about an aging character who stood by Han's side for decades leading up. Yeah, to for this. first for three movies. Yeah. You're not introducing the character. Like, this is his purpose. He stands by this guy. You're like, look, you know Chewie. Well, why he He's stands? been doing this for forever. Chewbacca stands loyally by, yeah. his, by his captain's side. That sounds so much more powerful. Instead, it's like he has stood by, but now he's doing something else. We'll continue. What does it say? That's it. That's oh, that, it. That, okay. That's, that's all it. there is. But that, that's just my conjecture. But then here's the thing from the database, the Star Wars database. And this is the thing that is going to turn into our ultimate suggestion for the new plot element here, something we've been grasping at for months now, trying to put the pieces together. Starkiller Base, an ice planet converted into a stronghold of the First Order and armed with a fiercely destructive new weapon capable of destroying entire star systems. Hmm. Entire star systems, Doug. Whether it's true or not. But, but look at what it's doing, Doug. It kills stars. It's a base that kills stars. Doug, star, <laughs> kill. What, wasn't there already something like this in the expanded universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Sun Crusher did it. And I mean, hell, there, there was a Sith Lord in, in the ancient days that did it by himself because he was that fucking powerful. But there's also the concept that the actual planet itself or a moon, we don't know, it could be a moon. That it itself is the base. Well, and how's it going to move? Well, you know, you just strap some big-ass hyperdrives and, you know, you do your thing. And, and also, that's been an expanded universe thing, kind of. There were living planets that could travel through hyperspace. But, like, I guess that's the big key here is that this has made the databank yeah. at StarWars.com. This is on StarWars.com. This information is on StarWars.com. It is not... Conject- that it says that it can destroy a solar system? It's, yes. yes. Oh. 
So we we have just, official information here. There's no more. Well, there I mean, is no more conjecturing about the purpose right. of Starkiller Base. Well, it just seems like a bit of overkill to me because wouldn't destroying a single planet inside a solar system already destroy that solar system and throw the whole fucking thing out of whack? Well, I mean, you know, Star Wars hasn't been one to like get into the whole. I mean, you know, it's much easier simply to say that Alderaan becomes an asteroid field rather than the sort of wrath of Khan that when, you know, a star goes Nova can knock them into different orbits and it, you know, like affects their environments and everything else. Like that's much more harder sci-fi than I think it's not even that hard, but you know, it's but more, in, but then in, in, in a world like star Wars, where usually only one planet that's habitable is on one system. It's like the Hoth system, the Dagobah system, the whatever system. If you can already destroy one planet, you've basically destroyed that system. It's no longer a system. It's just a star. The right. thing is, we know very little, especially in the new canon about, what planets are in the same solar system together. And the the big part of the plot that we have been able to fill in is there is a super weapon involved in this plot. What does it do? Now we know that it is a super weapon that kills stars and explodes entire solar systems. I guess. I just don't know what the purpose of what like it, it's like, oh well we have to have something bigger and worse than the Death Star. And all honesty, it just depends on how they handle it and like how they use it and like what's the. There's already conjectures that it's 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 smoke and mirrors. Like this could be the smaller conflict within the bigger conflict. It might be it's just a way to get the resistance in the first order together. But the real conflict that we as an audience member care about is now Finn and Rey and Luke and Snoke and Kylo and these other Knights of Ren that were just hitting each other. It could be really cool. I just want to know at what point does it become more like Gur and Lagan and where they're just throwing galaxies at each other. You know, like, where, where's this escalation going to end? And if you start the first film with a weapon, I mean, which, of course, we don't know if, 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 how it's working or not, but if it can destroy an entire solar system, then by I, the third movie, are they going to build it again? They got to blow it up again? Like, what, how, like, this thing repeating itself over and over again, but they I, have to up I, it every I time. I feel like if the usage of super weapons is, once again, the whole nostalgia, JJ trying to structure this movie like the originals, because they're trying to recapture the magic of the originals. The funny thing, like, the prequels did not have super weapons, and the original trilogy had two of them, and it's so much more well-regarded than the prequels. So, like, he's like, all right, I want a super weapon. I don't know if it's threat, though, the actual threat of it is going to necessarily be the plot drama. It might be the drama for getting the Resistance and First Order fighting each other, but I don't know if that's where we're supposed to be perceiving the threat as an audience member. If they're building it, if it's like under construction, I mean, maybe I just I just think that if you build something that can destroy an entire solar system, it kind of weakens the impact that the Death Star had. Well, I don't know. We'll see if it actually gets used. I, I mean, that that also be a very key thing too. Does it end up getting used, or is it a nuclear bomb that's going to go off and the spy has to disable it at three seconds? You know, like that. I mean, that's JJ, a different type JJ of super does, weapon. JJ destroyed Vulcan. You know. Like, uh, he did destroy Vulcan. Maybe he'll destroy Tatooine. We never have to see it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why we're at Jakku, because then we could just go, we can go there every movie. <laughs> well, the, the other component to this is that the conjecture that Finn, as a First Order stormtrooper, actually sees this for what it is, freaks the fuck out and defects. And that that's the big reason that he's on the run, because he has this information, because he knows what Starkiller Base is. It's an inciting incident that's a key component. Like, we know so much about how the film is going to be structured, what's going to happen in it. But there's these details like, is there going to be a fucking forest chase sequence on speeder bikes or something? And like, what's Starkiller base? We've got that now. The pieces are coming together and there's only going to be more of them in the future. That's all we know from episode seven. That's all our, our new stuff this episode. But um, 
Star Wars Aftermath, we haven't had a chance to fully read it yet, but there was some content that was released early, and we can speak to that. And there's something that really plucked your heartstrings, Matt. Yeah, uh, Leia gives a, a hologram propaganda-ish speech at the beginning of the book in order to establish that the New Republic has been formed. And a lot of the Expanded Universe fans were, you know, there's some sentimentality of losing all that history, but one of them, I think one of the key things is that our heroes never got to experience victory. Because if we're jumping into Episode 7 and we have now a resistance and a First Order, have they been fighting for 30 years? They have no time to, you know, revel in their victory. And she speaks to the fact that the New Republic did form. At some point, Leia, we have a snippet from that speech. I, I can go ahead and read that. Please do. This is Leia Organa, last princess of Alderaan, former member of the Galactic Senate and a leader in the Alliance to Restore the Republic. I have a message for the galaxy. The grip of the Galactic Empire in our galaxy and its citizens is relinquished. The Death Star outside the forest move of Endor is gone, and with it, the Imperial leadership. Tyrant Palpatine is dead, but the fight isn't over. The war goes on even as the Empire's power diminishes. But we are here for you. Know that wherever you are, no matter how far out in the Outer Rim you dwell, the New Republic is coming to help. Already, we've captured dozens of Imperial capital ships and destroyers. And in the months since the destruction of the Empire's dread battle station, we have already liberated countless planets in the name of the Alliance. Be patient. Be strong. Fight back where you can. The Imperial War Machine falls apart one gear, one gun, one trooper at a time. The New Republic is coming, and we want you to help finish the fight. What's interesting about that, I guess during that portion, they're showing clips of other planets, including like the liberation of Naboo. That was one of the, you know, the, the kind of montage they added in the special edition to Return of the Jedi. So I don't know if like that is the hologram that they're sending out, but I thought that was an interesting in-universe you know, thing. But so this novel apparently features a bunch of interludes that are kind of giving us not just the main history of what's happening in the galaxy immediately after Endor, but also those hints to The Force Awakens that everybody's been craving. Because if we're going to you know, speculate on The Force Awakens and, and where the Star Wars universe is going, that was really what the appeal to Aftermath really was for, for most people, even though I think a lot of the Expanded Universe fans just wanted to see how much is different. And it is, because immediately they wipe away things like the Truce of Akura. And it's not EU reference heavy. But they moved the Republic to Shandrilla, which is where Mon Mothma is from. She was the senator from there. So that was an interesting new change. I don't know if we'll ever go back to Coruscant, which is an interesting prospect. I'm almost as much tired of that planet as I am a Tatooine, really. Yeah, I've as some, you know, read so many of the novels, like Coruscant is the most common Star Wars planet to me. That was their home base. It was almost like, it was never so formulaic as like a James Bond film, but it really did feel like, you know, the action started at Coruscant so much that if you really want to take a huge deviation, it's that to get away from that. But um, some of the major hints towards Force Awakens includes a mysterious group called the Acolytes of the Beyond, that are trying to acquire Vader's lightsaber. There's some, some references to Boba Fett being alive, or at least that his armor is intact, that it was recovered from the Sarlacc and it was sold. Yeah, pretty wild. Like a guy named Adwin Charu, who's working for the Red Key Company, goes on a Jawa Sandcrawler looking for high-quality goods for his employer, and um, he meets a guy named Cobb Vanth, who has a lot of local knowledge and negotiates with the Jawas to get this Adwin guy to, to see the rare goods, amongst which are hut artifacts, part of a sail barge, and a box containing a full set of Mandalorian armor, quote, pitted and pocked as if with some kind of acid, been through hell and back. Sounds like describing Boba Fett's armor after it got out of a Sarlacc pit to me. Yeah, like he had to fight his way out of there. I mean, otherwise, 
I don't know that a Sarlacc pit regurgitates, you know, to the surface. So I can only guess that he got out of there. And now the question is going to be, who is Boba Fett? Which character wandering around this universe is Boba Fett? Because you won't recognize him. The two other really good references, The Force Awakens, that we get is uh, one comes from a former advisor of Palpatine. He's not Sith and he's not Force attuned, but he does believe in the whole thing. And uh, his quote that he has within one of the interludes is, no Sith remains and the lone Jedi that exists, the son of Anakin Skywalker, possesses an untouchable soul, at least for now. We must instead move towards the dark side. Palpatine felt that the universe beyond the edges of our map was where his power came from. Over the many years, he, with our aid, sent men and women beyond known space. They built labs and communication stations on distant moons, asteroids out there in the wilds. We must follow them, retreat from the galaxy, go out beyond the veil of stars. We must seek the source of the dark side like a man looking for a wellspring of water. That ties back into my Starforge theory. <laughs> like, you know, that, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, that is so heavy. Kotor, Revan, that's surprising that they even bother to sorry, get into Actually, interesting other Knights of the Republic connection within this book is that that sale of that red-bladed saber takes place on Terrace. Whoa, whoa, really? Terrace has come from other sources before Knights of the Republic. I believe it, it originated, I don't know if I'm thinking Terrace or Telos, but originated from the Marvel comic, like back in the early 80s. So I don't know if it's possibility, I guess, that it is kind of reconnecting KOTOR in a way, but not for a, like a canon perspective. I don't know. It's very interesting. Like Maybe that red-bladed saber where they're like, I don't care. I just have to find you know, a red-bladed saber. Like Maybe it's you know, a Sith. Who knows? So yeah, that, that's everything big that I've learned from Aftermath so far. And that's just what came from the previews. Once we actually are able to crack the book, well, that's a whole different story. We'll see where it goes. And of course, we'll report back the findings to you here on State of the Empire. This has been a uh, very long episode. And man, we've been putting the episodes out pretty quickly. It went from being every few months to being like every month. And now it's been like every couple weeks. And they're getting longer all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's been two weeks and we had this over full length episode here. What does it mean? Well, we don't know. And we'll be still putting out State of the Empire at least once a month, I would say. But leading up to The Force Awakens, all the new stuff happening, I guess uh, when you feel the pulse of uh, the Star Wars universe racing, you'll know that we're soon behind with a new episode. Remember that uh, State of the Empire and all the programs on the Nerdy Show Network are entirely listener-supported. That means we rely on you to help fund us. If you go to nerdyshow.com support, you'll see the options. You can either subscribe to us on Patreon and get a ton of cool perks, including uh, outtakes from State of the Empire, or you can give us a one-time donation. And of course, we're Amazon affiliates. So if you follow our links at nerdyshow.com slash Amazon or links to specific Star Wars products like that BB-8 on this episode's page, then all your purchases, having gone through those links, will give back to Nerdy Show. Also, if you haven't taken our Nerdy Show survey yet, please do. We're collecting all kinds of listener data on all of our shows and various articles, videos, and even our nerd music radio station, Nerdy FM. We want to know what you think. So go to nerdyshow.com survey and give us the deets. We have a short one that takes about 10 minutes and then also a longer one that uh, can take as long as you want. There's a lot of fill in the blanks on there. Any more Star Wars news? Just talk to us about it on the Nerdy Show forums and we'll probably see you sooner than later. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. 
Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Matt. I'm Matt Rex. Taking us out? Well, throughout the run of State of the Empire, uh, we've kind of run the well dry for Star Wars songs. So instead, we're going just the general sci-fi route, and this track is a brand new track from steampunk band Steam Power Giraffe. They just released a double LP space opera concept album called The Vice Quadrant, and in it, they tackle a lot of different genres. Uh, This particular track definitely takes a page from one of my favorite concept records, Electric Light Orchestra's Time. This is Steam Powered Giraffe with Progress and Technology.
Thanks for listening to State of the Empire, presented by Nerdy Show. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, like and follow us on SoundCloud, or give us your feedback at nerdyshow.com survey. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. And be sure to follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.